here's where we're at. We are in week four of our teaching series, Story of the World. So go ahead, open your Bibles up and join me in Genesis chapter two. And I'm just going to go ahead. I'm going to say what everybody is seeing and what everybody is thinking. Myrtle Beach took out the spy balloon. All right. So we did. Yes. So it's like if you want something shot out of the sky, just leave it to South Carolina. We've got some experience doing this. You're welcome, United States of America. Yes, we went ahead and we took care of this uh, really well. Uh, there is no more left of uh, said spy balloon. And I've been hearing some crazy rumors about like what this thing was about. And if you just want to catch up on this, just reference your local Facebook HOA page, and I'm sure that you're going to be able to see exactly... You know, there's a lot of, lot of opinions. Some are a little out there. Others I find a little more believable. One of which is that apparently this is how they determine where to put the next dollar general. <laughs> They're everywhere, right? How do they do it? How do they? It's like, you did it, dollar general. There you are. Highway 90. It's our hope. So uh, uh, additionally, I hear that some of the law firms are going to get in on this. Uh, have you been injured in a spy balloon accident? Please call 888. You know, <laughs> you know where you go from here. I personally, I believe that the most, the most believable reason is that China finally said America had a better idea than we did. Buckies. And so what we need to do is we need to send this balloon over here to get a blueprint so that we can get a Buckies in China. But here, <laughs> here's, love Buckies. yes. So, but here's, here's what we see is there's a lot of confusion about what this whole thing was about. Similarly, there's a lot of confusion about what gender roles and sexuality is all about. And we're going to talk about that today. You ask the question, what is a man? What is a woman? How do we relate to one another in today's world? And it feels like a trick question, right? It's like 10, 20, 30 years ago, it's just like internal plumbing, distribution of hair and tone of voice, no more. Now it's, it's something uh, a, a lot more <laughs> than all of that. And it can feel very confusing, very complicated. And at Coastway, we believe the church is called to be a place of clarity, not confusion. And so here's what we do. We try to keep it really simple. Genesis 1-1 is the starting point of the Bible, and it's the starting point of every other important area of our life. In the beginning, who? God. So if you want to make sense of the world God made, we, we need to turn to, to the word that God wrote. And yes, last week was more of kind of like a man camp vibe. And so the, the text was powerful, uh, it was meaningful, but the tone was a little different. And so, uh, ladies, anybody, you got a, a, a boy or a male in your life that you want to grow up a little bit, just like, hey, I hear good things about this sermon, maybe you should go take a look at this. Yes, you're, I just hear good things, that's all. Uh, you can send that to them. Um, uh, but today is going to be, ladies, it's going to be more of like a women's retreat tone. And I, I want to just say this out loud, ladies, we are more because of you. And we would be so much less without you. The home would not be possible without your investment and your involvement. It's like mom goes out of town, leaves dad with the kids, everybody's in bed by 6 p.m., kind of chaotically, and they had pizza for dinner and dad can't find anything. It's like we realize how helpless and how hopeless we really are without you, mom. Uh, the church would not be possible without you. It's interesting, did you know that the most likely demographic on the planet globally, to be a Christian is an African-American woman. The most likely demographic that you're going to see in a church is an African-American woman. And more than that, over, well over half of the global church, over half of the American church, well over half of Coastway Church are women. And we literally would not be here without you. But also, you think about how 
Salvation would not be possible without the investment of women, without the surrender of women. We could never overlook how God chose to bring His great Son into the world. How did He do it? It was through a young mom, through a young wife, through a homemaker. And it was through her surrender that we enjoy salvation. Now, I do want to acknowledge what qualifies me to speak to women today, because I don't know if you noticed, I'm not a woman. I have no desire to be a woman. Sometimes I get really confused. It's like, how, did, how does that work? Like, all, all, all of those thoughts? Uh, well, here's what I did. I tried to keep it really simple. I went out and I watched the movie What Women Want by Mel Gibson this week, and so I feel very, very equipped to go into <laughs> I didn't do that. Um, I've been married uh, to a beautiful, godly woman for 11 years, Victoria. Uh, I get the privilege of raising a beautiful daughter, uh, Eleanor. And what I have been privileged to be able to step into and see is God's heart for women up close and personal. <laughs> I'm learning a lot uh, and trying to fail forward when I misunderstand something and mess up something. But not only is it God's heart for women, it's, it's the heart of women for God that I've, I've been able to be around. And more, you know, more than all this, I just want you to know None of this is Jeremy today. You know, the Word of God is the ultimate qualifier. And when you start reading, scoping the Scriptures, you're going to see that Jesus had unlikely encounters with women that society would say were taboo. His ministry would not have been possible without his mom, without people like Mary and Martha and Mary Magdalene. And the church in the New Testament, it moved forward off of the faith of women like, like Lydia and so you just see really early on that God has so much to say be, like beautifully and positively to the ladies. And I just want to represent what he says today. And we're going to open up God's word. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about you know, what it means and how we can have some hope uh, from this. And I want to give some guidance to the men today. Uh, if there is a sister, if there is a wife, if there is a mother, if there is a daughter, if there is a potential girlfriend, if there is a girlfriend... In your life, there's plenty for you today. I just do want to caution you, please be very careful when you say amen. Last week, just totally, you know, free game, but today be, be a little careful right there. Use discretion. One, one more disclaimer is we're not going to have time to put an airbag around every issue associated uh, with biblical womanhood, uh, with the beauty of women. Um, there's not going to be an, ex an exception clause for every situation. We just It's beyond the scope of this sermon to, to touch on all the tentacles associated with, with women in the world today. But I just want to tell you that the purpose of today's sermon, what is it, what is it supposed to do? It's supposed to and, it, and designed to spark a larger conversation for our young church, one that every church must have, but one that far too few, too few churches ever actually have, and it's about recognizing and dignifying the indispensable role of women in the home, in the church, and in the world. And we believe so much in this conversation that this week in community groups, we're going to go guys with guys again, girls with girls again, and we're going to press into everything that God has purposed for us to take away from this. So with that, let's pick up in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. 
And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Verse 20. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. All right, men, uh, bonus round for you. Let me talk to you for just a moment. What is happening with Adam right here is, pre- is, is descriptive, meaning it's just something that happened. It's not prescriptive. It's not what's supposed to happen. So what do we see most grown males doing today? Falling asleep, taking a nap, while God is doing great work right around us. While he is forming beautiful women all around us. While he's calling us to meet needs in the church all around us. And men, here's what we need to understand, is that we are not called to leave the way up to the women that God's forming, the children around us. We are called to lead the way and being worshipers, and being family members, and being servants, stewards, and uh, witness witnesses. And there's so many applications right here. Just go and watch last week's sermon if, if you weren't here. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and take a look at verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man. So this was the first prime rib in history. So you know it's about to be good. Get ready for this. He made into a woman and brought her to the man. All right, ladies, I want you to notice something. God had to bring Eve to Adam, especially single ladies. Let me talk to you. Let me show you why this is so significant, because when God is at the center of your dating pursuits, he will only bring you to men that he is forming. And often what happens is we get ahead of God and we want to bring ourselves to men that maybe you want to form. It's like, oh, he's got so much potential. Oh, he wants to learn. You know, I, I, I gave him a Bible. Great. That's, that's awesome. Um, but here's, here's just some encouragement. This is going to save you from a lot of heartache and heartbreak. Is If you will let God lead you and bring you to the men that he's forming, you're going to set yourself up for a, a much stronger, stable future in marriage with kids. And, you know, sometimes you find yourself, maybe you find yourself in a marriage, you know, maybe... You didn't know all this or you didn't think about all this and you're in a marriage where maybe the man doesn't love Jesus, doesn't care a whole lot about Jesus. Well, I would just encourage you, bloom where you're planted. There's so much to be said about just blooming where you are planted and in the relationship that you find yourself in right now. Uh, But for, you know, adultery, (laughs) abuse, abandonment, those are all biblical grounds. They are biblical grounds for divorce. And I'm I'm not necessarily saying that that's what you need to do. I think... Go and read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. And read, read about how the witness of the wife in a non-believing home to a non-believing husband can be missional. It can be beautiful. But what I want to say right here is, uh, you, know, if you, you know, there's some guy, he comes, he comes in close and he's just like wanting to get around you and get your number and, 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 and hang out with you a lot. Make sure that God is forming him. Make sure that he is being formed by God. And if he's, you know, again, back to the whole, you know, he has potential. Okay, I get that. But let's see where that potential leads. Maybe say, hey, listen, uh, why don't you continue to go to church, continue to read the Bible? And when you decide to put your life fully and finally underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, then let's talk dating. 
then let's talk marriage. Until then, we can be friends, and there shall be no benefits. Moving on. So, verse 23. Then the man said, this, is at la- this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What I want to give to you today from these verses that we just read are three marks of biblical womanhood. Three marks of biblical womanhood. And we have to hold these in tension. And again, we're not going to get to everything. Come back here over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about marriage and how all these roles and responsibilities and identities, they get disordered. They get confused. They get reversed. Keep coming back. We're going to talk more. But there's three, three marks of biblical womanhood that really, really are called to hold intention. And the first is this. Women are inerrantly equal to men. So I've done a lot of weddings over the years. Uh, I've, I've done weddings beside waterfalls. I've done weddings actually in community group settings. There's couples who have been married and like, did the ceremony in their community group. Um, done them in, in barns, beside barns, inside, outside, in churches. And there's, there's a line that a mentor gave me this, that I, I love to use this line in, in a wedding because it communicates the, um, the inerrant e- equality of men and women. And it goes like this. Eve was made by God, not out of Adam's head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. But here it is, out of his side, to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. So Eve was created out of Adam's side, uh, equally bearing the image of Almighty God, to be equal with him. And here's the, the sad song and dance of history, is that women have been viewed tragically and wrongly and unbiblically as inferior to, to men. And all along, I just want to say this, that was man's doing. That, that was never God's doing. But the historical refrain is that women don't get a view. Women don't get a voice. Women don't get a vote. And I want to tell you, it's wrong. It's wrong. Because God created us male and female as co-equal counterparts. How has society responded? Here's what I want to do. I just want to briefly take you on a little bit of a history lesson so that you can see, like, how did, how did we get to this moment, this confusing moment where we are today, confused about what is a, what is a man, what is a woman, uh, what are we supposed to do, are we equal, are we identical, are we interchangeable? Well, I want to tell you a little bit about the, the waves of feminism that have swept over American society uh, since, we, since we formed. Uh, the, and this is going to help you understand, just make some sense of what's going on. So what do we do whenever we, we come to God's Word is we want to explain what God's Word says, but we also want to take God's Word and use it to explain what's happening in society, what's happening in the culture. And it helps us have an interpretive lens to make some sense of the madness. So these waves of feminism, the first wave really swept through around the mid-1800s, and it was actually a very good, needed movement. It was all about the right to vote. And if you, you, you stop right there, you just say, absolutely. It's like when people say, well, you know, are you a feminist? Or like, what, what, is, what, is femini- what does it mean to be a feminist? Well, if it means that you believe in equality to vote and to get equal education and be treated with mutual respect and to have a view, to have a voice, to have a vote, absolutely be a feminist, for sure. But the problem is it didn't stop right there. It continued. There was a second wave. And this kind of happened in the mid to, 
you know, early to mid-1900s, and these world wars were happening, there was a lot of activism that was happening, and a lot of it was very positive. And it was around women having equal opportunity in the workplace, and in schools, and on universities. Very, very good. But you, and you got to understand, men and women have only worked together in the workplace, outside the home, for about 70 years. And so we had to have all these conversations about, you know, when you meet a guy with a girl, do you meet with the door open, the door closed? You need to have all these sexual discrimination policies that are introduced so that this can be fair and this can be, this can be just. But that's only been around for about 70 years. And then around the 1970s, we're coming up on the third, way, the third of the four waves of feminism that sociologists uh, tell us about. And in the 1970s, the tone changed. It changed from women being equal to women being identical to men. And so the third wave, it comes amidst the sexual revolution. And here's just a really brief summary. Women can be just as sexually deviant as men. So you can hook up, you can shack up, you can break up. You don't need to wear bras. You don't need to shave legs because men and women are identical. And for the first time ever, you could take a pill that could control your reproductive agency. This was historical. You cannot talk about the modern woman without talking about how the birth control pill has shaped the way that women think and the way that women uh, relate. And this is not to to justify or disqualify the pill necessarily. It's just to say it has indelibly shaped women today. And that is, fast forward, you move to the fourth wave of feminism It happens like in the 1990s, it really starts to build up and it becomes more than women are identical to men and it becomes women are better than men. This was when girl power really came on the scene and became a thing. It was also when dynamic pop culture figures like the Spice Girls and Madonna emerged. And it's when men started to be cast as bumbling idiots in sitcoms. It was when shows like Sex and the City and Buffy the Vampire Slayer started to take off. And next thing you know, Disney princesses like Elsa no longer need a prince. She doesn't need a man. I'll, I'll tell you, though, the best part of the fourth wave of feminism, something very good that has come from it, is heightened awareness and accountability around sexual abuse, which has no place in society, no place in the church, no place in the home. And so, you know, we bless God for there being a greater awareness and a greater accountability around sexual impropriety, oppression, and abuse. But when we actually when we look at everything that these waves of feminism have shaped the way that we think, we move into the present day and what's going on. Well, consequently, fourth wave feminism and transgenderism are butting heads. And let me, let me show you why this is. So, so think about it. How can you say... Women are better than men, and then turn around and advocate for a woman to become a man. And so what happens is the monster begins to eat itself. And furthermore, women are, are told and sold so many lies. Ladies, here's, here's what it's, it's going like. You don't need a man. Go and get as much education as you can. Go and uh, give yourself to careerism. Figure out how to make a six-figure Uh, income. Have as much casual sex as you want to, but don't ever get too involved with 
with a man and start flirting with the idea of marriage. And if something happens and you get pregnant, just have a safe abortion. Or if you want to, if you want to keep the child, then get a good daycare. Keep doing you. And if you want some free counseling, find that at the bottom of the bottle of a wine of, of wine every single night. And it's just like you got to ask a question at some point. How's that going for women? How's that going for women? And uh, Jordan Peterson, I don't, um, he's a world-renowned psychologist. And I, I personally think he might be one of the most interesting men in the entire world right now. He's up there with like Mr. Beast. I mean, like very, very interesting guy. It's like he won't just come out and say that he's a Christian, but he has all of these just like, like irrefutable um, positions on these hot takes that are leaving all of the people who are selling out to a progressive mindset that just wants to totally gut the Bible of any significance, and they have no comeback for what Peterson is saying. Apparently, he's about to come out with a book that apparently like completely dismantles atheism and makes it, it seem as foolish as it is. And he's like, I have figured out how to like, you know, debate with any atheist and they don't stand a chance. And so that's Jordan Peterson. What did he do? Well, he talks about how, what is this doing for women? He talks about how these big law firms where women, successful, motivated women, they, they enter into this, this career field and without fail, right around the age of 32, the law firms can't keep them. You want to know why that is? It's because they're realizing they've been lied to their entire career. It's because they're realizing it's not that bad to be a mom. It's not that bad to be a wife. It's not that bad to be a homemaker. And it's like, I'll pay you $600 an hour to fix this problem. And they're like, no thanks. I think I want to go get married and have some kids. But another consequence of this, and this is so sad and wrong, is how an enormous number of women are made to feel inferior for not buying the narratives of fourth wave feminism. And so we need to ask the question, why should any woman ever feel embarrassed for wanting to get married? Why should any woman ever feel embarrassed for wanting to have kids or for wanting to be a homemaker? And I can tell you, we, we, can, we know why, we can interpret this. The shame is from the shrapnel of this idea that women are identical to men. That's where it comes from. And from the beginning and throughout the Bible, God says you are equal, but you are different. And, you know, throughout history, three of the greatest sub-identities for a woman, what is it? Wife, mom, and homemaker. But, and, and the irony is when people bring these digs against women who pursue these callings, they'll say something like, well, so much for that education you got. Or like, well, I actually work a real job. I don't get to stay home and, and, and be with my kids uh, all, all day. They'll say things like this. Here's, here's what's really interesting about that. Those same people turn around and pay somebody to do the very thing that they dismiss. Take care of their kids, right? It's what happens. Let alone how Jesus entered the world through the womb of a mom, a wife, and a homemaker. And so the flip side is, in many cases, it is a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing for women to work outside the home. But in just as many cases, it's a beautiful thing for women to work inside the home. I mean, outside the home, you look at Proverbs 31. It's like, you know, kind of the ideal woman. You know, she's like a COO. And, and she's making like bank. 
But she's, she's like, she, under, she still understands her role. You know, her children raise up and call her blessed. You know, her, her, her man has a good reputation. You see, Lydia in the New Testament, she was like an executive uh, director over like this, this fashion company. And she is at the forefront of planting the healthiest church in the entire New Testament, the church at Philippi. So we need both women who work outside and inside the home. But here's what's at stake with this idea of equality. And we need to spend some time on this because every time that we come to the Bible, here's what we do. We bring baggage, we bring bias, and we bring brokenness. And we have to understand where does it all come from. And here's what I want to show you with this idea of equality. Anywhere the Bible has been dismissed, women have been devastated. Uh, You go uh, to Greco-Roman society, this was the cultural moment that the church was birthed into, where Paul did all his missionary journeys, Jesus was uh, facilitating his his, uh, missionary encounters and his ministry. Greco-Roman society, here's here's how women were treated as property, more than people. So like Greek husbands, it was said of Greek, Greco-Roman um, society husbands that uh, prostitutes was where the men would go to have pleasure, but the spouse was where they would go to procreate and continue their, their generation and their, their lineage. Uh, even Jewish men would wake up and they would say, and they had totally missed the heart of the Bible. They had totally taken it out of context. And this is what happens is women, women suffer. Jewish men would, would wake up and they would say, God, thank you that I am not a Gentile, that I am not a slave, and that I am not a woman. And we look back and we're just like, that's, a, this, that's appalling. But you fast forward to today, and here's what's interesting. In the 1970s, there was a massive influx, an enormous amount of women who entered the workplace. Not a bad thing. But how did that affect women's happiness levels, all these economists, you can go and you can Google this. There have been all these big studies that have been done about are women happier today than they were in the 1960s and the years before it. And the, the resounding result of all of these studies is that right about the time that mom, wife, and home, homemaker was dismissed as illegitimate was the time when women's happiness levels began to plummet. So women are saying, my mom was happier than I was, and my grandma was even, was even more happier than that. So anywhere the Bible has been dismissed, women have been devastated. But furthermore, anywhere the Bible has been boldly believed, women have been elevated. Did you know that at the foreground of the first wave of feminism, long before we were hashtagging Me Too, there was a 19th century slave woman by the name of Sojourner Truth. And you need to know about Sojourner She's an incredible woman, a godly woman. She was the greatest human rights advocate of the 19th century and a bold, born-again believer in the gospel. When asked about her escape from slavery, she would respond, I didn't run away, I walked in the light. And that's, that's helped for all of us, right? Because you don't have to duck your head, you don't have to run, you don't have to be ashamed when you're doing God's will. Even when everybody around you is saying that it's wrong. But two years later, after she escaped and walked out of slavery in the light of God's will, she went back, she had the nerve to go back and demand her son. And she was the first black woman in history to win such a custody case in court. In her signature speech on the strength and equality of women, which was titled, Ain't I a Woman? 
She said, I have borne 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. Ain't I a woman? In other words, she's saying, aren't I created equally in the image of Almighty God as all of you men who say that I'm inferior, who want me to be enslaved? And it's incredible. (laughs) During her speech, there was a man who interrupted her and said, this Jesus was a man, and therefore women are inferior. And Sojourner Truth shot back, where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. And I just want to say, the due rights of women today to vote, to be educated, to be difference makers in society and in the church were made possible by people who believe the Bible. Sojourner Truth believed what Kosue believes, that women are inherently equal in God's eyes. And However, here's what we need to say. As, as we are about to see, equal does not mean identical. Equal does not mean interchangeable. We are, equally, we are equal in dignity and worth and significance, yet we differ in our God-given roles and responsibilities. And the more that we reject and resist that, the more that we fragment society. Here in a few weeks, we're going to talk about this. We're going to have a word for the married couples and those who may want to be married one day, and there's going to be something for the singles in the house too, something for everybody. But we're going to see how these roles and responsibilities, they get disordered. But for now, remember, we're holding these in tension. Uh, There's a tension that we have to manage right here is that women are inherently equal to men. And number two, this is the next mark of biblical womanhood, women are irreplaceable helpers. Women are irreplaceable helpers. So in verses 18 and in verse 20, Eve is first identified by God. How? As a helper. See, that that is the first identity that God gives to the first woman. And before you start throwing things, I need you to understand some things. So bear with me right here. Uh, Again, we're bringing bias, we're bringing baggage, we're bringing brokenness to how we read and interpret Scripture, and oftentimes we get it totally twisted and wrong. That's why you need to hear biblical, verse-by-verse preaching. It's why you need to put yourself under diligent study of God's Word. And, And part of this is what we'll do is we will think that if there's two of anything, one has to be better. If there's two of anything, one, one has to be better. So if we see two cars out, it's like one car is going to be better than the other. If we see two houses out, one's going to be better than the other. If we see the finishes inside the house, one's going to be finished better than the other. So we see male and female, and we're like, well, one's got to be better than the other. But you just understand, that's not the way we're supposed to interpret male and female. Helper does not mean the help. That's a punitive term for someone who's like lower class or who's like beneath you. It's a derogatory term. Uh, helper does not mean, ladies, that you're on house arrest. You can only be uh, some like mousy housewife or homemaker, and you can't lead or influence. It doesn't mean that. No, no, the church would not exist without women. Society would not exist without the help of women, without your views, without your voice, and without your votes. And so here's what we got to do. we we got to recover a true and better vision of the word helper. Let me try to help with that. The word used for helper is azure. 
and it shows up over and over again in the Old Testament. It's used twice to describe Eve. Okay, there you go. It's used countless times to describe God. One of my favorite examples is Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present what? Help in times of trouble. So ladies, understand this identity of helper is not one of inferiority. It is one of divine privilege. It is one of necessity in times of need. You get into the New Testament, who's described as a helper? The Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He's the power of salvation. He's the power to pursue. He's the power to transform. He's the power to redirect a fallen, sinful heart. So ladies, think about it. If God identifies himself as a helper, count it as a privilege to share that identity with him. And furthermore, what does it imply when someone asks you for help? Well, they are acknowledging their need for your strength. If someone comes to you and says, hey, can I, can I get your help? They're saying, I don't have the strength to do this on my own. I need your strength. Or when someone offers to help, what are you doing? You're implying that you're implying strength. You're suggesting that you actually can help that person. I'll just say this. Boys and men, we need a lot of help. As verse 18 says, it's not good for men to be alone. What happens when men are alone? We do stupid things. We do dumb things. Don't make any sense. And um, I, there was uh, a former president and the first lady. They went out to dinner. And uh, true story. They sit down at the restaurant, and uh, the first lady, the, the owner of the restaurant had dated this particular first lady in the past. And uh, the president and the first lady, they were talking a little bit about, you know, he says, hey, you know, just imagine if you would have married him, you, you would have been the, the owner of this restaurant. And she said, no, 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 no. If I would have married him, he would have been the president of the United States. <laughs> so there. So, we, women, we need you. <laughs> We need you. Uh, we need help. We need help in the home. We need help in the church. We need help in the world. Let me talk about all three. Ladies, we need your help in the church. And I, I will say, we do believe that the role of pastor and elder is reserved by God from the scriptures for qualified men. But let me say something. That is not about equality. That's about responsibility. That has nothing to do about pulling rank. That has everything to, to do about how men are called to uniquely picture Christ and how women are uniquely called to picture the church and to picture Christ-like character in response to the church. But we also recognize how ministries of the church and the Great Commission are not possible without women. Let me say this out loud. We could not gather or set up without you, women of Coastway. We couldn't disciple children. We couldn't lead students. We couldn't lead community groups. We couldn't lead women. We couldn't lead our neighbors to Christ. What's held our church together as much as anything else? Women who pray. I'm convinced that the progress that we've seen is largely due to the faithful women who hold our church up in prayer. And single women, let me talk to you. Do not believe the lie that you have to be married before God can use you. Do not believe the lie that you have to be married before you can advance the church in powerful ways. Single ladies, we need your help in the church. I was talking to a fellow church planter who I really respect. 
He's currently leading, he's a mentor of mine, he's leading the fastest growing church in the state of North Carolina. Started with 30 people on their launch team in 2016. Over half of that launch team were single ladies. And now here, here they are, like over 2,000 people, four services on a weekend. It started with majority single ladies. And not to mention single ladies, you're our kids' favorite people. It's, it's like, who, who do all the kids of Coastway love? Like that, they, they, they love Emily. They love, they love Tristan. It's like they, they love the single ladies. It's just like you are their, their favorites. And so uh, we got to understand that, ladies, you know, we, can't, we can't do this without you. Hear us say that out loud. But we also, we need your help at home. In community groups this past week, I was speaking with the men and a, a circle of just men, and we talked about how who was it that filled the gaps of of adult males who wouldn't grow up. It was godly women. It was godly mothers. It was godly single women who filled those gaps in our lives. And I'll tell you this, for us, if, it, if Victoria in our house was not a homemaker, it would be a home breaker. And I, I want to tell you this, she, works, she worked very hard for the first seven years of our marriage to help us get out of debt, to help us buy a house, to help us build a life. But then whenever we had Eleanor, we made the decision together that she was going to come home and she was going to make the home. And our home would not be made were it not for her leadership, her servant leadership and the help that she brings as an irreplaceable helper. And I know that's the case for so many other women in our church. But we also, ladies, we need your help in the world. Did you know that women outnumber men 20 to 1 in the medical profession? Did you know that 75% of teachers and educators are women? I'm not saying that's the only, that's like women, be engineers, be architects, be athletes, be all that you can be for the glory of God. But why is it, what are two of the most helpful professions that we couldn't do without? Medical and education. Why do you think women are naturally trending to those professions? There's something written in the heart of a woman that says, how can I help? And we're seeing it in the fabric of society. So ladies, how do you embrace this mark of biblical womanhood? Wherever you go, I want to encourage you to write this down. Ask this question often. How can I help? You show up in the church. You show up with hands open. How can I help? You show up to a relationship. You say, how can I help? You go home. You go to work. You go to your kids. You say, how can I help? Help. That's the most powerful question that you could ask as a woman. Number three, women are intrinsically beautiful. Women are intrinsically beautiful. So I want you to notice how Adam's words are set apart in verse 23. If you can take a look, you'll see how it's kind of indented from the rest of the, the text. It's distinct. It stands out. There's a reason for that. And here's what it says. Then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That's Hebrew for, girl, you're the only one for me. Bad joke. Let's keep going. Uh, <laughs> uh, same thing in Genesis one uh, twenty-seven. It's distinct. It's distinct from the rest of the text. Why is that? It's because it's a song. We go from prose to poetry. In other words, what is being described is so good and so beautiful that it can't just be expressed in words. 
It has to be celebrated in a song. So get this, Genesis 1.27, God singing over male and female. And Genesis 2.3, Adam singing over his beautiful, beautiful wife are the first love songs in history. In fact, some scholars believe that when God created Adam and Eve, he did so through a song. And that's why music is so meaningful to us. Because it's the first thing that we heard when we were created. And we long to go back to it again and again. Let me show you this. When Adam was created, he was immediately affirmed by his father God. But when Eve was created, she was immediately and doubly affirmed by both her father and her husband. Very important. What should this tell us? This should tell us that women are intrinsically beautiful and need to hear that truth even more than men. Because you have God affirming, calling beautiful, and you have Adam affirming and calling beautiful. So husbands, clue phone. Your wife needs attention and affirmation to the greatest gifts that we will give to our wives. Attention. Did you know, studies have proven this, that a marriage cannot thrive if you go a long time without a daily rhythm of 15 minutes at least of undistracted, no social media, no kids, no Netflix, just you and me face-to-face talk time. Victoria and I, we've been trying this the past couple weeks. It's transformed just the connection. We'll sit down after the kids go to bed, we'll hold hands, and we'll talk. There's a concept. It's like, and I'm not the best listener in the world. I'm not. Like, I check out. I can be aloof. I can have a million other things on my mind, but this has just enriched so much of our marriage. But it's not just attention, men. Our wives need affirmation. The ladies in our church need affirmation. And right about the time that you're feeling uncomfortable because you're giving so much of it, double that, and that's what they need. They're going to... Here's here's what they're going to say. Oh, come on, come on. I mean, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Just keep coming. Keep bringing it. There it is. All right? Don't stop. Don't stop. Men need to feel and hear that we are capable. That's why God created Adam in the wilderness. Women need to feel and hear that you are beautiful. That's why God created Eve in the garden. Another reason why God's word makes so much sense. Where did God create Adam? The wilderness. Where did God create Eve? They're in the garden. You ever wonder why women care more about flowers? More about Pinterest? More about Hobby Lobby? See you up in Hobby Lobby, that's right. Watch that budget. More about makeup than men? It's because Eve was surrounded with beauty when she was created and she's been trying to return to it ever since. Guys, we're made in the wilderness. And until we get married, our dorms and apartments typically look like the wilderness. <laughs> Let me tell you guys something. When I first, when I was dating Victoria, I was 22 years old. I was like a turtle on a fence post. Why does she like me back? And so I lived in a man shack. It's what we called it with two other single guys. And it, it was just, as it sounds, a man shack. So I, I had, my bed was like on the floor, okay? Nothing on the walls. I had a camping chair to boot, and that was about it. It was pretty pathetic, if you ask me. And then I marry Victoria, and the throw pillows multiply. Things go up on the walls. 
we're lighting candles. I'm like, that smells really good. It's like, yeah, the man shag did not smell very good. It's like, clue phone over here. It's like, it's not good that men be alone. Beauty entered into my life. And that's, that, that's what we're seeing right here with God's word. Women are different than men. You're equal, but you're different. You're created with beauty, in beauty, and for beauty. And let me talk about two types of beauty, and then I want to pray over the women today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity even to come forward. And I just want to pray the Father heart of God uh, over you, that this would be personal. But two types of beauty. There is extrinsic beauty, and there is intrinsic beauty. I want to talk about both. Culture is obsessed with extrinsic beauty. So ladies, let me tell you this. It's good, and you should take pride in how you look. The Bible esteems women like Rachel, Sarah, and Esther for their physical appearance. So, so yes, take care of yourself, but also be careful because culture wants you to think that extrinsic beauty is ultimate beauty, and it's a lie. It's a lie. They want you to know that you should put more focus on what you wear than what you worship. And I want to tell you that is the devil's ideal, not God's ideal. Ladies, let me acknowledge the impossible pressure that culture puts on you to be perfect. It's not fair. And men, we don't have to live under this. So we ought to walk into the shoe, in the shoes of our sisters for a moment and realize it's not fair. It's like wear makeup, but prioritize natural beauty. Get your hair done often, but easy on the highlights. Compete with the Instagram models and the Colleen Hoover novels. Stay on point with the trends. Don't age. Be evergreen, endlessly beautiful. Wear these sexualized outfits to the gym, out and about to the beach. The problem is the majority of real women can't afford much less keep up with that pressure. But the good news is God doesn't call any of his daughters purely or primarily to extrinsic beauty. Think about it. Eve is our example. And the starting point of Eve's beauty was intrinsic, not extrinsic. And this is the second type of beauty. There's extrinsic and there's intrinsic. And this is what Eve possessed from the foundation of creation. Eve didn't have to go to Lululemon. She didn't have to get her hair done or put on makeup before God and Adam called her beautiful. And yes, she probably was physical, physically beautiful. And no, she didn't have to compete with social media at this point. But even still, I want to tell you, her greatest form of beauty wasn't her physical features. It had more to do with the fact that her God-given identity was imaging God's character. Ladies, that's the goal line. Like, that's the big E on the eye chart. What you're after is to image God's character You see, later in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 3, 4, God celebrates the imperishable beauty of a woman's heart. He's like, that's where it starts. That's intrinsic beauty. And what is the imperishable beauty of a woman's heart? It's your character. And character is the sum of what you depend on and what you desire over time. And so here's what God and His goodness has done. He has regulated beauty so that any woman who wants to be beautiful can be beautiful. You know, culture says you want to be beautiful, you need at least one of two things, maybe both. You need looks and you need money. But for the ladies who feel like you have neither, I want to give you hope today. God says that is okay. Your beauty is not defined by those measures. 
You don't have to be an Instagram model or have padded pockets to be pretty. You just work on your character. You say, I want to love Christ more. I want to be a quicker forgiver. I want to be a better repenter. I want the life of Christ. I want the cross and I want the resurrection to enlarge in me and be beautiful in me. And ladies, I want to tell you, this is what the world needs from you. This is what everyone around you needs from you is for you to image godly character. Because think about it. What did, what did God do for Adam? What God did for Adam is he brought Eve to him. And in bringing Eve to Adam, he was meeting his exact most pressing needs. The need for help. The need for hope. What does God in Christ do for us? The Father brings Jesus to us. How? Through the womb of a woman. Why? Because he knows we can't do without his help. And so how do you get help? You call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, God, I give you my sin. I give you myself and I trust you to save me fully and completely what is at the center of the gospel it's the helper Jesus Christ and ladies your calling and the need of those around you is that you would reflect that character